This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. I didn't say you could sit down, but you can. Uh, welcome to church. Are you having a good time? Yes, I am too. What, what a great thing to sing. To stand in awe of our holy God. And uh, whether this is your first time here or you've come many times, I have prayed that this will be a morning of great connection between you and God and that this will be a life-changing day in some way for you. It's a special morning for a couple of reasons. It's Mother's Day. We have some exceptional mothers in the house, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. If you're a mother, would you stand, please? Yes, indeed. You deserve a big hand. Thank you. You can take a seat. I'm going to speak to you about a wonderful mother out of Scripture, and we're going to learn some lessons, even those of us who would make very ugly mothers. Okay? And uh, I I don't care if uh, you are of the male gender, there's going to be some things that you can learn today. And I want to, easily I'm going to talk to mothers and to grandmothers, but I also want to talk to a group of people who are here this morning who may think, this is just going to go straight over the top. And that's those of you who are not married yet or recently married and have no children and you thinking, I can slide under this bar because he's not talking to me. Listen up, because you're going to learn some things that you're going to need to know. And you should learn them today. And uh, so, yes, we're going to talk about a wonderful mother from Scripture. We're going to dedicate some children this morning. I've seen them. They are all very cute. This is going to be a whole lot of fun. So, uh, if I haven't met you yet, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Ron. I'll be hanging out in the lobby afterwards. And if this is your first time at New Life, I would love to visit with you for a minute before you get out of here. And uh, so uh, if you'll come by and say hello to me in the lobby, I would enjoy meeting you in person. So grab your programs and grab out of your programs the teaching notes. It's the only fill-in-the-blank style thing you'll see in there. And uh, let's get ready to learn. We are in the middle of a series of sermons called Identity Theft. And uh, that ought to pique your interest if nothing else does. Because if you've ever been uh, the victim of identity theft, you know how inconvenient and frustrating that can be. Well, this morning I want to start with a question. What would be the opposite of identity theft? It would be to give an identity, wouldn't it? Rather than take it? So let's start with, with an understanding right up front. You're going to see it right up here on the video screens. The first thing we're going to learn that is as parents, we get to bestow an identity on our children. That's a huge and rare privilege. Now, there was a song that came out, I believe, in 1979, and it was called Dream Weavers. Some of you, yeah, I know, if you're smiling, you're old, all right? So here we go. Dream weavers. I want you to know this in, in a wonderful way as parents, 
particularly as mothers this morning, we get to be dream weavers. We get to take the dream that God has given to our children and begin to weave it into their lives. A very clear distinction. You don't get to take a dream you have for your child and weave it into their life. Okay? You get to take a dream that God has for your child. I'm going to come back to that over and over again this morning. But what a rare privilege to begin to weave God's dream into the life of your child. So that's principle number one. Now principle number two is this. If, the, if what we bestow on them, that identity, if it's healthy and if it's well-grounded, Okay, if it's unhealthy, sooner or later, our children are going to grow up and they're going to discover the difference between what's healthy and what's unhealthy. And if we've given them a dream that's unhealthy, they're going to ditch it. Okay, or if we've given them a dream that's not well grounded. Okay, if we sit and look at our child that has very, very mediocre talent when it comes to singing and we tell them that they could rival Celine Dion, okay, um, we set them up to fail. So if the dream is healthy and it's well-grounded, and if we start early enough, now take a look at this, we significantly reduce the chances of it ever being taken from them. I was reflecting on the three children that God blessed Monica and me with. And, and I was just thinking about how grateful I am that they all know who they are, they all know what they're supposed to be doing in life, and they spend virtually every day doing that. My prayer for them this morning was that that identity, that core understanding of who they are in their soul and their spirit, they would never be taken from them. And maybe even more importantly, that they would never give it up on their own. Principle number three. Mothers are the chief builders of a child's foundation. Fathers get to build the house. Now, please don't hear me saying that while the children are young, dads can just sort of be hands off and do whatever they want because mom's working on the foundation. That's not what I'm saying. But I can tell you this, that when children are young, the influence of their mother is overwhelming. It's amazing. Every study I've ever seen, every survey I've ever seen, and the Bible speaks directly to that as well. So moms, that's a huge task. And we're going to see that in the life of, of a great mother from Scripture this morning. So if you could think of a child's life as this dwelling place in which their spirit lives... Moms, you get to work on the foundation. And by the way, if you know anything about construction, if the foundation isn't laid well, how much fun is it to build? It is a mess. Okay? So, But if the foundation is laid well, then building is a joy. By the way, if you have a foundation and no house, is that any fun either? No, it takes both. Okay? So we're going to talk about moms building that foundation and building it well. So let's jump into a story in the Bible. It's a story of Hannah and her son Samuel. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a man named Elkanah 
who had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Right away, you know there's trouble. Any guy who has two wives is asking for it, correct? Yeah. Let's pull over to the side and talk about this just for a minute. Because in order to understand this story, you have to understand the culture in which this story takes place. This was a culture, as you can see, of polygamy. And I want you to know that in the culture of polygamy, it's far more than just a guy having more than one wife. Because polygamy never takes place in any culture where women are really valued. It only takes place in cultures where women are considered a possession and they are considered only a functional possession. And in those cultures, they have actually only two functions. One is to be beautiful for as long as they can. And the other is to bear children. Now that's the sad reality in which Elkanah was born. Elkanah didn't get to choose that culture. He was born into that culture. It's the sad reality that Hannah and Penina were born into. And we're going to see how destructive that is. But we're going to see a beautiful thing that could take place even in that very dysfunctional culture. It goes on to say, Penina had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's army at the tabernacle. By the way, they made a pilgrimage every year to the only church building in their entire country, and they spent a week before God worshiping and praising Him. Would that sound to you like a pretty good family? Yeah, this is not, this is not just a... Uh, you know, some family that doesn't care. Elkanah really cares. Now, some things that he doesn't understand, but he really cares. Now, on the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah, and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle, and each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. How would you like to be part of that worship service? That'd be pretty unhealthy, wouldn't it? But there you have it. Now we're going to learn some lessons out of that. Lesson number one is this. And that is, Hannah's going to become a dream weaver, and dream weavers inevitably face challenges. Now, Hannah has some challenges in addition to the fact that she's not able to conceive and bear a child. The first challenge is the other woman. In this case, the other wife. That's a huge challenge because she looked around and every time that Penina had a child, it only drove deeper into her soul the disappointment that she had done. I know this morning that there are people that usually come to this community of faith who will not be here this morning because this is a painful day for them. 
want to ask you to, to pray with me about three groups of people who struggle on Mother's Day. Would you join me? Lord, we lift up to you this morning people who have stayed away or maybe they're even here who have tried and are trying to have children. It just hasn't happened yet. Lord, in this story, you enabled Hannah to have a child. You miraculously turned around some malfunction in her body and you enabled her to have a son. God, we pray that in your grace that you would look at every couple who's trying to have children. And Lord, where you can find it in your will to do a miracle and reverse some malfunction there and enable them to have children. God, we pray for that so that this deep desire of their heart could be met. But Lord, for those that that that's not going to happen in, would you give them this morning a reassurance and an understanding that you have something else planned for them in this life, something that will be equally as fulfilling and important and vital And Lord, would you enable them to find their joy and significance in that. Then Lord, we pray for those in our audience this morning that when they think of their own mother, instead of beautiful pictures and warm memories, there's more of an absent mom, a dysfunctional mother, and painful memories. God, we pray two things for them. Number one, we pray that you would give them grace so that the scars that are there could be healed over. And Lord, we pray that you would give them the grace to forgive, to be able to let go of that and to walk beyond that and to realize that whatever they missed in their childhood, you will make up to them in in their adult life by bringing around them people who will speak into their lives things their mothers should have. Then, Lord, the third group of people we pray for are those moms who this morning feel like either they are failing or they have failed. Lord, would you remind them it's never too late to be a great mom and that no matter how long they live and no matter how long their children live, that you will give them the opportunity to speak with influence in their lives. And Lord, show them how to delicately walk that, especially if their children are teenagers or beyond. Lord, would you speak to us and meet us right where we are? We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. So the first challenge was the other wife and, and, and all that stuff. Well, there's another challenge, and that is the husband. I know, guys, we don't think we're ever challenges, right? We are part of the solution, correct? Yeah, you're afraid to say that, aren't you? Because you know what's going to come, all right? You know, the interesting thing in this story is Elkin is a good man, and he tries really hard, and he really wants to help, and he's looking at this situation, but boy, what he chooses to do is not really very good. We, we read it in there already, 
And that is, Elkanah is giving out the portions because as a part of their sacrifice, they brought the sacrifice to God. It was cooked on an altar before God. And then the, the people took the meat and they ate it in God's presence as an act of worship. Man, would, wouldn't that increase the size of church? <laughs> Barbecue every Sunday. Yeah, exactly right. They ate it in God's presence. And so it was Elkanah's job to hand out the portions. And so every time he took large portions of the meat and gave it to Penina for her and for each of her kids. And then for Hannah, he gave one portion. And every time she looked at him with this massive disappointment in her eyes. And you know what his response was? He was sort of like this. I give you more if God just gave you kids. He threw God under the bus. Now, he could have stopped Penina from saying what she was saying. He should have. He could have found other ways to make up for it. But, you know, Elkin is not done. Because I want to read to you what he says to her when she looks at him and he says, you know, it's really God, it's not me. I'd love to give you more, but God sort of prevents me from doing that. And then she starts to cry. And notice what he says. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkin would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You got me, baby. Isn't that better than 10 kids? You know the scary thing about that? I could see myself saying that to Monica. (laughs) All the time, meaning we have a great marriage. Isn't that wonderful? And she would look at me like, you're not really saying that, are you? You know, sometimes we mean well. We just don't get it. Here's what I want you to know for sure. If you're going to be a dream weaver and you're going to give a great identity to your children, there are going to be times when you have to swim upstream. You're going to have to go against the flow. You're going to have to meet challenges and you're going to have to rise above them. Because that's principle number one and Hannah did that. Let's go back to the Bible and take a look at number two. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and she went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance to the tabernacle, and that was the name of their church building. And Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord, and she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow, and you will answer my prayer, and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. That's another whole thing that came out of the Old Testament law about the hair not being cut. And I won't get into that this morning. But I want you to know that out of the anguish of her soul, Hannah begins to pray. And here's principle number two. Dream weavers. Dream weavers embrace their role as parents, as a divine calling. Hannah didn't look at this idea of having children as a personal privilege. She recognized that it was a divine calling. It was, she recognized that children actually belong to God. That they're on loan from heaven. She recognized that, that as a mother, she would only be granted temporary custody 
of this child. And she wanted to live life in that understanding. Now, friends, there's a great principle here that we can learn from. You see, one of the ways that we gauge how deep our relationship is with with other people in our world is what we're willing to loan to each other. For instance, pencil. Nice pencil. Looks pretty new, doesn't it? Freshly sharpened. The eraser looks brand new. Happens to be my pencil because it's up here with me, all right? And if you wanted to borrow it, all you would have to do is ask, and I wouldn't think twice, because you can get a bunch of these for a buck. So I would loan it to you, and I wouldn't probably even require that you give it back to me and say, ah, just take it. Why? Because it's a pencil. Now, don't you look at this. This also is a pencil. Okay? It's a mechanical pencil. It's handmade, custom-made, out of zebra wood. has a cross right here. And it's part of a whole set that was given to me by a family here in the church. Okay? If you come up to me and you say, you know, Ron, I've got a seminar next weekend, and I've got to take a lot of notes. I saw that pencil. Could I borrow that pencil? That looks like that'd be really fun to take notes with. Number one, you would be putting our relationship to the test. You understand? And number two, I might loan it to you, but I'd have to think twice. You know why? Because this is not worth a whole lot. And this is. Don't you think for a minute. What was it that Hannah understood? That children were on loan from where? From God. What's the most precious thing you have? It's your children, isn't it? You willing to loan them out? No. They're yours. I want you to think about this. When God gives you the honor of being parents, He's loaning His children to you. That's why it's important that you don't weave your own dreams into your children's lives, that you help them discover God's dream and you begin to weave that dream in and through their lives. Because dream weavers know this, that parenting is really a partnership between a heavenly father and earthly parents. And when you understand that, now you're qualified to be a great parent. Hannah got it. She embraced it as a divine calling. Let's go back to Scripture and look at number three. There it is. Dreamweavers pray passionately for their children. Now you can't read the story of Hannah that we've been reading this morning and miss her passionate prayer. In fact, she was praying and, and praying so passionately and intensely that she was, her mouth was moving, but there was no sound coming out of it. And Eli, the local pastor, looks at her and, and he thinks that she is drunk. 
And he says, quit coming here as a drunk woman. And Hannah says to him, Eli, I'm not drunk. I'm in anguish of spirit. I'm praying about something with all of my heart. And Eli says to her, well, whatever it is you're praying for, you're going to get. What a great thing. You see... Even though Hannah was praying to have children, I feel like that no matter what took place in those children's lives, in, in Samuel's life, that Hannah was going to pray about it. And rightfully so. Because Hannah understood what James wrote about centuries later when he said, Is anyone among you having troubles? He should keep on praying about it. The earnest prayer, earnest, circle, underline that word, earnest. This is not a quickie that you send up to heaven for your kids while you're on the way to work and they're on the way to school. The earnest, it has some intensity to it. This prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. Now, I have a revelation to make to you that I'm saddened to make to you. Many, many times over the years of ministry, I've had Christian parents people who have been Christians for years come into my office and they're struggling with some parenting issue. Their child could be in their terrible twos or their not-so-terrific 12-year-old, right? Struggling. And after they describe what's going on, I'll ask them this question. Do you pray over your children with regularity And do you stop and listen for what God wants to say to you about how to change what you're doing with your children? And do you know that almost without exception, the answer that I get is no. Now, I'm not saying that to make anybody here squirm, but I am saying that to challenge you. Because if you understand that parenting is a partnership between a heavenly father and earthly parents, then then you have to understand how vitally important it is for you not just to pray for your kids every day. Oh yeah, I'll be with my kids. They're going off to school, help them to learn well, not slug anybody. Okay? You've got to get beyond that level of prayer. And you've got to pray passionately for your children. Day in and day out. Because Hannah teaches us that. She prayed passionately and God answered her prayer. And let's go to number four. And we're going to look at three passages of Scripture before we get to principle number four. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, but Hannah didn't go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned, then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. That must have been an interesting conversation because Elkanah is getting ready to go and for the first time Hannah says, no, I'm not going to go. And Elkanah probably thinks immediately, you're going back on your promise. I can see that already. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Let's go to the next scripture. And when the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh and brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the woman who stood here 
several years ago, praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he's granted my request. Now I'm giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there. There's one more little facet to this story. Let's take a look at the next passage. So Samuel, though he was only a boy, served the Lord. He wore a linen garment like that of a priest, and each year his mother made a small coat for him and brought it to him when she came with her husband for the sacrifice. Before they returned home, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife. And he would say, May the Lord give you other children to take the place of this one she gave to the Lord. And the Lord gave Hannah three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Principle four is this. Dreamweavers embrace the spiritual leadership of their children. I want you to hear me out on this because this is a really important thing. When Elkanah gets ready to go to the, to the tabernacle, when, when Samuel is you know, just a baby, he's been born maybe three or four months, assuming that uh, she got pregnant as soon as she went home. Hannah says, no, I'm not going to go. I'm going to wait till I wean him. Now, in their culture, <clears throat> it was customary for children to nurse until they were seven or eight years of age. You know. That's kind of, yeah, never mind. So um, she has several years with Sam. She says, no, I'm going I'm to devote him when he's weaned. Now, you know why she was doing that? Because Hannah had an identity that she wanted to bestow on Samuel, and she couldn't bestow it on him when he was three months old or even a year old. You know what? Listen, ladies. She had a foundation to build. Are you on board with that? And she was not about to devote him to the Lord until she had done her part in helping him receive that identity because he wasn't just Samuel the boy. He was Samuel the boy who had been given to her by God. It was important that Samuel would know that. He wasn't just Samuel the boy who had been given to her by God. He was Samuel the boy who had been given to her by God and who was to be given back to God. And when he was seven or eight and she was going to take him back to the tabernacle and leave him there, she wanted him to be prepared for that. She wanted that to be part of his identity. But there's more. He wasn't just Samuel the boy who was given to her by God, who was to be given back to God. He was Samuel, the future priest of the nation of Israel and the future prophet of the nation of Israel. And Hannah knew that Samuel would encounter great opposition as the priest and prophet of the nation of Israel. And he knew there would be times that the whole nation would turn against him. And it would be very easy for Samuel to say, I could do less controversial things with my life. I believe I'll set aside that identity and I'll pick a little easier one for me. 
But Hannah also knew that if Samuel were to ever lose track of his core identity, that he would never be the person that God created him to be. And she had about seven years to get that identity etched into his soul. Those are pretty important seven years. So when the time was right, she did. Now listen, parents. I have one principle to give you before we close. And it's a challenge. Because in our culture, one of the most common things that I hear is parents saying, it's my job to teach my children to believe in themselves. No matter what kind of opposition that they get, no matter who makes fun of them, no matter what the bullies say, it's my job to teach my child to believe in themselves and to choose a dream in this life and pursue it and believe that they can do it no matter what anybody else says. And that's my job as a parent. Friends, yes, it's your job to help your children learn to pursue things with confidence. But can I give you something far greater than that? Because can I tell you, you don't have to be a Christian to give your child that dream. There's actually no God in that dream. Hannah didn't say to Samuel, I want you to believe in yourself. She said, Samuel, I want you to know your purpose. That's huge. And she helped Samuel realize his God-given purpose. And Samuel never left that identity. He lived it out the rest of his life. And I want to challenge every parent here who has a small child to begin to weave that dream into their lives. And that is, know your purpose. And you cannot know your purpose. You ready for this, parents? You cannot possibly expect your child to know their God-given purpose in life if you don't lead them into some form of ministry in the church. Because in some way, their God-given purpose in life will be tied up in serving Him some way in this world. So I want to challenge you to do that. Invite your children into ministry with you because it's in doing that. Regardless of what they do to earn a living, this will be what they do for purpose, on purpose. You know, as we close, we've learned three things. We've learned that we get to bestow an identity on our kids. We've learned that if it's a healthy and well-grounded one and we do it early enough, that it probably won't get stolen from them. We've learned that mothers get to build the foundation Fathers get to actually build a house when the kids get a little bit older. We've learned that from Hannah's life that we're going to face uh, we're going to face challenges as we put this identity in our children. We've learned also that uh, as we go along that we must embrace our role as parents as a divine calling and not just a personal privilege that we get, we get to sort of indulge on ourselves. We've learned that we need to pray passionately and we've learned that we need to step up to the plate and embrace the spiritual leadership of our children. So let's take a look at how we can apply this in our lives. If you'll take your, uh, the card that Kevin got out, uh, had you get out a while ago, and look on the back side of it, you're going to see some options. I will determine today to overcome every challenge that I encounter. 
And, and we're talking about in the world of parenting, but it would actually work outside that. And, and, and basically what you're saying here is, when I need to, I, I am willing to swim upstream and do with my children what other parents don't do with theirs. Okay, number two. I will view my role as a parent and grandparent as a divine calling. That means I'll pray about it and I'll get spiritually vested in it. Number three, I will pray passionately and regularly for my children and my grandchildren. Number four, I will embrace a spiritual leadership role in the lives of my children and grandchildren. I'll embrace it. And then last of all, friends, you can't do any of those well if you yourself are not personally connected with God by becoming a Christian. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to do some of that business while I pray. And whatever God lays on your heart. You know, last week, one of the choices that, that God led us to was I would, I would change some wrong behavior in my life. I took the time to go through the responses. 81 different people said, I'm going to partner with God this week to change some wrong behavior in my life. That's why everyone's so well behaved this morning. You know, when we partner, God works. So you do your business with God while I pray. Holy Father, thank you for gathering us here on this Mother's Day morning. Thank you, Lord, for um, Hannah, who lived such a great life and taught us so many great things. Right now, as we consider these options, would you call us, speak to us, stir in our hearts, so that we would know how to appropriately respond, so that, as Kevin talked about earlier, the door of our heart could be wide open and the fresh breeze of your Spirit could blow in and begin to change our hearts and lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.